Hello, and welcome to the Movie Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll have a spoiler-filled discussion about a movie we think you'll enjoy. In this episode, I'm joined by my sister, and we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on the Legion of Superhero movie from 2023, animated feature. Now, unlike a lot of our spoiler-filled ones, I think this is going to wind up being a no-holds-barred spoiler-filled one. And I know sometimes people are thinking, should I watch it, should I not, before listening to this kind of an episode. I'm just going to cut to the chase and say, don't bother watching it, listen to this first, and if at the end you still want to watch it, well you'll know what you've gotten yourself into. I've I've been doing the Legion Spotlight episodes for about a year now, and I've gone from when the group started in 1959 into October, November 1963. Wow. Okay. And I was very much looking forward to this. Having watched it now, I, I knew my expectations were not going to be fulfilled, but I was woefully astonished in many respects by this. Well, it's funny, when you showed me the cover for the DVD, you cracked a joke just based on the cover. The Blu-ray, actually. But yes. Yeah, because on the cover, it's got Supergirl kind of between what Monel and Brainiac 5. Yes. On the back, or I, she was basically, Supergirl was prominently featured on the front and the back. And it was looking very much like it was a Supergirl guest starring the Legion movie. Yeah. Which the various interviews and web things I'd been seeing definitely backed up. The movie absolutely is a Supergirl. I mean, it starts with Kara on Krypton, not just in Argo City, but Argo City on Krypton. Before the planet blows up, we then watch it explode. She gets rocketed away, which again, different than her origin, because I reread that for the, the Legion spotlights. Jump forward to she's been on Earth for a few months, but still inept in figuring out how to like go shop for clothes or whatever. And then we jump forward to the Legion time and stuff. So we spend, I, I, if I'd thought about it, I would have made note mm. as to how far into the movie before we even get to the 30th century in the Legion's time frame. Well, and she is both inept in how to function in 21st century Earth culture, how to use the just poster board style map at the mall. So yeah. the the lack of technology. Well, again, and, she's been there for months, and she hasn't figured out there aren't robots all over the place. Yeah, yeah. It makes her come across, frankly, really stupid. Yeah. But we then end up with Batman basically saying, we don't want you here because you just don't belong. You don't fit in. I, I love how after Supergirl has basically fought Solomon Grundy, Superman had to come in and defeat him, though, all this destruction and stuff. Batman basically takes Superman aside for, you know, what presumably would be a word in private. Granted, she's Kryptonian. She's going to hear you no matter where you are on the planet. Yeah. Getting out of earshot is going to be a couple of light years away, so don't bother. And then basically saying, yeah, she's not welcome here. Ticking off a Kryptonian, not a good idea. Well, and part of why he's saying you're not welcome here is because we can't trust her with how she'll use her powers. We can't trust her to regulate her powers. Basically, an unruly teenager with powers is a threat. 
So well, it's kind of a, do you want to tick her off and make her even more unpredictable with the powers you're saying she can't control? What was interesting is at that point in the story, we've got Superman, Batman, and Flash as our token mm-hmm. Justice Leaguers. Not that we really needed the Justice League at this point. It should not have been the Flash. It should have been Wonder Woman. Because I think what they were going after was the Supergirl who, when she was rocketed to Earth, basically, that there was a period at which, I want to say around 2005-ish, but I could be wrong, where she came to Earth, was just, you know, Superman was well-established, whatever. But she basically went with Wonder Woman to Paradise Island, the Mesquite, mm. to get trained by the Amazons. And that would kind of fit this Supergirl. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, in the comics, I'll be honest, I've lost track of how many Supergirls there are. I think there's probably at least five distinct, she makes it to Earth and gets raised, etc., different ways and such. So, I was surprised how much time they spent in the present day. Because when we were getting her origin kind of getting tweaked and stuff, she's knocked off course, great. Have her not get found until the 30th century. Yeah. Have her encounter Superman or Superboy at that point. Realizing baby Kal-El is all grown up and then be told, yeah, and he flew a thousand years into the future to be here now. But they thought they were creating common ground with Brainiac 5. Doing the love story with Supergirl and Brainiac 5 makes a lot of sense for a Supergirl film because they are kind of the, the romantic links and stuff. And they got into the Legion at, I'm trying to remember if it was, I know they. I'm trying to think if it was the same time or not. Supergirl tried out, got rejected because she was too old. She'd basically encountered some red kryptonite, temporarily Mm. aged out of applicability and stuff. And then I think the next time she applied, she and Brainiac 5 got in at the same time. In the movie, most of the characters we spend most of the movie with are not technically Legionnaires. They're in the Legion Academy. Yeah. And the choice of characters really didn't sit well with me. Now. Duo, uh, Triplicate Girl and Bouncing Boy, or Duo Damsel, Duplicate Girl, whatever she winds up with there at the end. Those two being associated with the Academy, absolutely. Because if I recall correctly, in the 80s, when the, the Legion Academy was first really kind of set up in the comics, they were the two who started it. Oh, interesting. They were Legionnaires, they kind of retired, there's some kids who need training, let's do it kind of thing. Dawnstar was never in the Academy. I'm trying to think which other ones. Phantom Girl was not. Monel, absolutely not. Mm. And just within the first few years of the Legion stuff I've read, Monel, Triplicate Girl, Bouncing Boy, I'm trying to think which other ones we have. Whoa. Invisible Kid? In, uh, well, we had the first Invisible Kid. This is the second who was created in the 80s. Okay. Who was another one that I would have expected to have been credited to Paul Levitz. I was surprised. At the beginning of the movie, Supergirl, Superman, special appearance, courtesy of the Siegel family and stuff as is how they credit that these days in the comics even. Makes sense because of all the copyright and all those things. But at the end credits for this movie, Batman was credited and Dawnstar was credited. And Dawnstar surprised me. It was Paul Lovitz and Mike Grell, which right people to do. But it's like there are other Legionnaires from around that era, plus a lot of Legionnaires from prior to that era that weren't explicitly credited. And I did not see him. We watched the whole credits. Any, you know, thanks to kind of section that they usually do. So most of the, the the comic book legionnaires we get in the film are 
we also get as actual Legionnaires, Timberwolf, Chemical King, and Shadowlass. It took me a while to recognize Chemical King because of where I'm at in the reading and, and that character basically, not a long time Legionnaire. We also had some actual Legionnaires that showed up briefly at the end. We had some at the end and also when Superman drops off, Supergirl just kind of milling about on the ground. Yeah, true. And we see, you know, Telus, we see Gates, we see Wildfire, we see Sensor Girl, Starman, Starboy, a, a bunch of them. So they, they get the visual credits here and there. But the ones we focus on, one of the ones that was in the Academy that got a, a decent amount of, of coverage in some of the articles and stuff was Arm Fall Off Boy or <laughs> Arm Fall Off Lad or whatever. He was never a Legionnaire. He tried out once, I believe, in 1989. <laughs> so he did not exist pre-crisis at all. You've got to go over 30 years into the continuity to get it. And one of the articles I was reading on this, because it was posted on the Slack channel, and it's like, okay, I'm curious, was basically an interview with the writer, who when she got the job, did a week-long dive into the Legion to basically figure out what she'd gotten herself into. And, you know, did a little reading from different eras and such. In other words, didn't do any kind of a serious deep dive. They didn't find somebody who had a serious passion for the Legion, like a Jeff Johns or, frankly, half a dozen other people, like a Mark Wade, a Paul Levitz. And that's just people who've written the Legion. Mm -hmm. There are others who are out there that are big fans. So getting that, and then there was a line in the interview where she's like, oh yeah, there are a bunch of oddballs and, and misfits and such. With Arm Fall Off Lad is kind of the prime example, you know? And it's like, no, no, you know? it. I don't know, that that didn't sit well with me. And to get not the Legion, but the the Academy trainees, and then not actually pick Academy trainees, but to regress true Legionnaires down to that level, it was frustrating. Well, and they were at one point described as all vying for one spot and all thinking they had no shot at it except one person. Now, if you go to the early Legion stuff, there was a only one person gets in a year, then it got to a boy and a girl a year kind of a deal. Here, they didn't really justify why there was only the one spot. Because, I mean, let's face it, they had three dozen Legionnaires, I think, at one point in this movie when they're all coming there at the end. Yeah. They, they apparently all fly on on individual ships, too. That that was just kind of weird. Of course, their whole use of the time bubble was very different than in the comics. <laughs> the time bubble baseball? Yeah, it's a bubble that basically expands and creates a portal that you can walk through versus it being... A time bubble, almost like a Rip Hunter's Time Sphere from Flash, mm. the show, which of course is nothing like what we saw Rip Hunter use in Legends of Tomorrow, but go figure. There were a couple of places here where I felt their characterizations of the characters was pretty far off from the mark from, from the comics. And it's even accounting for some of these characters going through rapid personality changes between incarnations. Because the Legion had the original run as one continuity. They would do an adult Legion set of stories that was essentially a possible future of them. So I'm treating that as a separate continuity. You then get the post-zero hour reboot. And I'm doing this off memory. I've got notes for when I do the Legion spotlights on some of this stuff. You've then got the... Because they've got like three or four... or Well, four, because they did a retro boot where they basically went from the post-zero hour and said, no, no, we're going back to the original. 
And then we've got the Bendis era. I mean, they've, they've got plenty of variants of the Legion to be had. And there were a lot of other characters that I felt would have been interesting to get earlier in their career as applicants to the Legion or whatever. Or if you're going to do a Legion movie, I don't know, maybe feature the Legion. Yeah. I mean, it was so bad that this was a Supergirl movie, but they realized they apparently couldn't market it as such for whatever reason, that at the end of the credits, the little thing of, you know, these are characters of DC Comics, it's Supergirl and related characters are property of DC. Well, when we get to the logo at the end. At the very end, the logo they show is not the Legion logo, it's Supergirl's logo. Yeah. Superman's by way of Supergirl, but yeah. It was very much, even as far as when they were rendering the end credits, this was, for all intents and purposes, a Supergirl film. Well, and the post-credit scene, that equivalent to a tag, was very much a, and the next movie will be Supergirl back in the 21st century on Earth. Okay, let's let's talk about the post-credit scene, because <laughs> as bad as the movie was in places, and it wasn't, I mean, it had its moments, it had some fun things throughout. They basically set up the Dark Circle as a threat in the 20th century, just or existing in the 20th century, but being a big threat for Supergirl and the Legion in the 30th century. They deal with all of that. We get a little bit of, you know, Supergirl saying through a time bubble to Superman, yeah, I'm happy I'm going to stay here. And then the bubble closes, Superman and Batman, it's like, well, you didn't tell her. There's the, Apparently, there's this big threat still in the 20th century that they think they need her for, but Superman didn't feel comfortable asking her back. And then, because there's this big scorch mark or whatever on the pavement, Superman's looking up, some blast comes down, he tries to shield Batman, and they get vaporized. So I was taking that as they can't call her for help anymore because they no longer exist. That's going to cause a time ripple or whatever, which if there is a second movie, and this implies there has to be, because ending on a moment of, yes, and Batman and Superman get vaporized, how can you not follow up on that? And ending on a movie with that, end credit scene is mind-boggling. Yeah. See, I spent most of the movie trying to figure out who the target audience was. Not hardcore Legion fans, but I'll admit that's a small audience, so I get that. I'm still I even selling on age group in terms of, to me, when you put something at an academy level, are you aiming at the teenagers and the college crowd and you're making it relatable for them? Because, like, we have a friend with an 11-year-old. I would not say, hey, show this to your 11-year-old because of the language and the gore. It was doing pretty good up until we're getting near the climax. We haven't revealed who the the bad guys are at this point. And we get one character getting taken out. And then we see the remains of that character. And I'm like, that's gross. You know, it's animated. It's not that bad, but it's like, damn. And from that point forward, is where kind of the filter on the language just went away. Mm -hmm. And when one of the main villainous characters here gets basically cornered or whatever and realized, okay, I'm not likely to fight my way out of this, which given the character was surprising, instead of having any decent line of dialogue, it's just a a word of profanity. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, seriously? To me, that, that is the epitome of bad writing. If you can't think of any word or phrase or line of dialogue to really illustrate the character, what they're feeling, and and do it with potentially some degree of style. The moment I lost all hope for the writing delivering anything for me. 
was, we've got the big bad. He's somehow hooked himself up to this machine that's sending out this wave of- The miracle machine, yes. Yeah, I'm not even sure what this wave of is. And it's kind of rewriting, if you will, everything in reality it's around him. It's supposed to be the, the sphere of it rewriting reality, yeah. Okay. So, he's, for lack of a better expression, he's narrating what's being rewritten. And he's saying kind of a, you know, it's taking out those who would try and oppose me, but it's also taking out those who are strong enough to compete with me. It's anyone that could be a potential threat, I'm just going to preemptively get rid of. Right. And at this point, the person who has been the turncoat in their midst yeah. goes down. But doesn't really ever seem to have any impact of that after that. That's when I lost hope, was when he gets back up after we've taken care of the Miracle Machine. He gets back up and he almost has this moment of, wait, nobody knocked me down. That could have been a time for him to, to go through a quick redemption arc or something, but doesn't. And He could have had that revelation of, wait, I was betrayed by the guy I'm following. Well, but the thing is that that big bad who does that basically winds up defeating himself. Yes. And Supergirl and the Legion clean up the mess. They don't actually defeat the villain. And that was very disgusting self-defeat. Very, yes. I was disappointed with that on, on multiple levels. And there were a few aspects of the writing with, okay, Supergirl thinks Brainiac 5 is Brainiac. They fight. And it's like, okay, this is the start of a woefully unsubtle romance mm -hmm. aspect, which I knew was going to be coming because I know the characters from the comics and stuff, but it was so almost childishly done. Well, and that's what I was going to say. There are aspects of this that were very much kids' entertainment. You know, Kara has that moral dilemma when she gets her hands on the miracle machine of, you know, I can now control how it's rewriting reality as I get rid of it, which means I could either bring back all of Krypton, I could bring back Argo City, I could at least save my mother. Yeah. And she's dealing with temptation. And there's that lesson for kids in there of wrestling with temptation. Yeah, but given what we'd seen of Supergirl at this point in this movie, because we go from her origin to... She's there at the Legion Academy dealing with all of this. She seemed too petty to have that growth at that point. Yeah. I didn't say it was earned. I said that was the lesson for kids in there. And there was also the lesson for kids in there of, it's hard to say sorry, but you gotta. Well, and don't make assumptions about people. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, it can be hard to work with people you don't like, but they can bring a different perspective, you know? Again, there were aspects of the... The movie that were not horrible, but, but the overall were, movie. But they were very much lessons for kids in a movie that wasn't made for kids. And that's what confused me about who is this movie for? No, that's, that's totally fair because the subtlety of those lessons and stuff was lacking. Exactly. And therefore definitely aimed lower. But then you hit the point where between the language and what happened to one of the characters being shown and whatnot. It definitely skews it older than that audience. I mean, if they think that they need to write that type of plot at that level of subtlety, for me and my age group, I'm worried. Well, I don't know how old the writer was or is. And 
it's clear this writer had no passion for the Legion and no deep understanding of it. Because, again, Armfall Offlad being a surprisingly focal character. Yeah. For a character that tried out, got rejected in a arguably out-of-continuity comedic story. Because the point of the story he showed up in was to give the origin of the original upside-down rocket ship version of the clubhouse. Mm. One of the other people that was being trying out at this point, and this was before the Legion had a headquarters, was somebody who could make people forget. They're at a park, she makes the person, the, the little kid forget his mom. I'm like, great, that's kind of cruel, and they'll give him his memory wreck. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, well, with that attitude and with that lack of, of control of your power, rejection. Yeah. When people try out for the Legion, the paths are either become a Legionnaire, get rejected, take it well, become a member of the subs or not, or you've got, don't really have powers, but you've got weaponry or something like that, fake it, so you get thrown out and it's like, yeah, you shouldn't have been trying out, we take people with real powers. And then that last, often frequent avenue of- Get rejected, become a villain? Get rejected, become a villain. Yeah, I saw that coming. Yeah. I've been reading a couple of stories where the only reason they're fighting somebody is because they just rejected them and they took it poorly. And that's the plot of a surprising number of early Legion stories. But the, the tryout person who had the memory wiping thing got annoyed, was going to go use, was starting to use that power on the Legionnaires. But one of the other people who got rejected steps in and saves them. Hmm. His name? Fortress Lad. He's from a race of people that live on a world that's, I don't know, gets pelted by meteorites or something like that. So at puberty, they get the ability to become large buildings, essentially. Okay. So he does that, but he then gets whammied by the forgetting power and forgets he's not a building. I mean, the whole thing is very tongue-in-cheek, very ridiculous. Yeah. Maybe it's the origin of the thing, maybe it's not kind of a deal. So to take a panel or two character out of that and give that character the same standing as Monel, Bouncing Boy, Triplicate Girl, mm -hmm. Dawnstar, Phantom Girl, people who've been Legionnaires for decades through multiple continuities, and to basically be quoted in an interview saying, oh yeah, they're all kind of oddball, weirdo, loser types. I forget the exact yeah. phrasing, but- what the movie definitely came across as thinking they're all oddballs. Well, they're all in the, the, the academy because they're not worthy heroes, because all they can do is bounce, detach a limb, turn into three of themselves, hide in walls because they're too shy, or you're a Daxamite, which is essentially a Kryptonian. Or become invisible. Or be Well, at that point, Invisible Kid couldn't get his, his clothes invisible. Yes. So there was a moment of the sophomoric humor of, he's invisible fully, so where are your clothes? Yes. Yes. Ooh, brilliant. That Invisible Kid took over for the original, and there was a sizable gap of time between them. And I forget the specifics. I think Computer was taking over the Legion headquarters at the time, and maybe Brainiac 5 gave this guy the serum, because we got to get past Computer or whatever. Computo was, and I forget the timing on this because it's been, this was in the 80s and it's been since the 80s since I've read these issues. In this guy's younger sister, he was, you know, college age she was young, teen, you know, 12-ish, whatever. And the computer entity had like taken over her either before or after or during the story. I forget the specifics. I'll catch up to it eventually in the Legion spotlights. But his power seemed like invisibility at first. They played later as if it was potentially him going kind of in and out of dimensions. Mm. 
because I think he actually encountered potentially the original Invisible Kid. So they were mixing and matching characters from different times and and continuities Mm -hmm. because I don't think Gates and Tellus, two of the very alien members, were ever members in the same continuity. And I'm pretty sure I saw Andromeda there, and at one point she was in alternate or that continuity's version of Supergirl. We also got Sensor Girl surprisingly featured because I think we had the one hologram of the three original Legionnaires, Cosmic Boy, Lightning Lad, and Saturn Girl. And then there was another one that had female blonde hair and a mask. Mm-hmm. That's Sensor Girl. Okay. Who originally was going to be Supergirl, but they really couldn't get that past the powers of B at the time. And it's funny because I think Paul Levitz was writing it even at the time, but this was around crisis. They'd gotten rid of the Kryptonians, so no, you can't sneak her back in. Mm-hmm. So it became a different character that had also previously existed. And you know, when you've got 60 years plus of comics and, and continuity, continuities, plural, for the Legion, there is a wealth of good material. Has Monel ever been played this way before? No. Good. I didn't care for Monel. Voice actor did a great job. Yes, I'll give him that. Yuri Lowenthal, who's he was in the Legion cartoon series as I want to say was it there he was Superman and Superman X or he he's been in a ton of ton of projects voiceover and stuff like that and he's played other L's Jor L I forget if it was which I think he played the the Superboy and Superboy clone or whatever in there anyways. This was a different take on Monel that I didn't overly care for. The Phantom Girl of Too Shy to Really Do Anything until suddenly we need her was annoying. I liked her after we needed her. She is a great Legionnaire. She really, yeah, she stepped up and was fun after we needed her. In the comics, she was always a, a solid one. I feel like there were scenes either not written or left on the cutting room floor that I really wish we'd had. Like a training scene where Arms Fall Off Boy was practicing throwing an arm and getting the hand to do what he wanted it to do, whether it was- Versus when we first see him and he's inept and we yes. see him later and he's fully skilled? Yes. Yeah. There was an opportunity when they were doing the montage of the Brainiac 5 Supergirl relationship and stuff to intercut that with the others training and getting better at their powers. Yeah. And that would not have taken much story time and could have strategically filled in some gaps that we needed. I would have also liked to have seen them using some holograms in their training. Yes. Because when we saw some holograms suddenly later, it would make more sense. I mean, we saw the hologram statues, but to me, that was different. That was different. And there was a moment where the climax is starting to happen. Characters are in jeopardy. And then suddenly they're not because, oh, holograms. Yeah. And I felt that was a cheat. Yeah. There were a lot of aspects like that in the story where I felt in some places they were telegraphing things and it was very unsubtle. In other places, it's like you thought you did something clever there, but you forgot to tell the part that would set that up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, if we had done fight training against holograms, then we would have known to go to the fight training room to get the hologram devices that would have set that up. Well, and particularly if you'd had somebody cheating with the holograms or something like that. And they set Kara up as something of a cheater on Krypton. Yeah. So we could have had that later, but 
We didn't. Yeah. yeah. I just, I wanted to like this. Yeah. And there were a couple of moments here and there where it was not bad. It was, it was entertaining. Was it good? No. Was it a good version of the Legion of Superheroes? Absolutely not. And there were a couple of times where they changed up some of the powers a little. Dawnstar having kind of energy wings versus organic ones. Brainiac 5's force field belt doing things it's never done before. And then being able to throw out force field spheres that were almost like Mr. Terrific's T-spheres from the comics, although that's a millennium earlier and totally disconnected from this. It just There were places where I could see where they were inspired by the comics, and also I could see cases where they should have read a few more of the comics. I felt like we didn't get to know any of the adult characters. Who are you considering the adult characters? The full-fledged Legionnaires, even Batman and Superman. I think the Batman and Superman, we are supposed to feel like we know because these are the same voice actors who've played them in other DC animated films. I've got a lot of these on DVD. We haven't watched most of them. So yeah, they were not fleshed out here. But I mean, even when we're the equivalent of In Trouble and Sent to the Principal's Office, and we've got the three... Timberwolf, Shadowlass, Chemical King as kind of the tribunal. And they're up on the raised seats and yeah. Yeah. It's like a judgment chamber there, which felt so out of place. But, I mean, we have a few scenes with them. We don't get payoff at the end with those three characters. No, instead we get it with the origin- what I know to be the original Legionnaires. And we really should have had those three characters coming to Kara and with basically a we should have listened to you. Coming to Brainiac 5. And apologizing. Kara. Yes. But Kara tried to tell them, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. You're accusing a 12th level intellect of doing something stupid that you say is stupid. Yes, he's a genius. Why would he do something so dumb? She was saying that to Timberwolf, and their characterization of Timberwolf, I felt, was totally off the mark. He originally was a very quiet, loner, feral type wolf. Here, he's being basically portrayed as a clawless wolverine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I get the similarity of the characters because the Legion of Superheroes has an analog in the Marvel Universe of the Shi'ar Imperial Guard. And Fang is the equivalent of Timberwolf. And the Imperial Guard has gone up against the the X-Men a number of times. And at one point, Wolverine basically takes out Fang and steals his costume. So, I mean, again, I get the similarities and whatnot. But... Him saying you were reckless, you destroyed all this type thing felt so ironic given various versions of of Timberwolf. There's some where he is as much of almost a mindless monster as Solomon Grundy. Mm. I don't care for those takes on it, but still. Shadow Lass's power, they were using not only as just, they use it two or three times. Once she's using it as like a cloaking field for privacy or whatever, Mm -hmm. as if that's somehow going to shield it. There's nobody else in the room. Casting shadows around the room, what is this doing? Yeah, it was like it was soundproofing the room somehow. Yeah, somehow, you know, a privacy mode that it doesn't do. And then at another point, she creates like a space portal through it. Mm-hmm. She's never been able to do in the comics and whatnot. It's as if it were the Dark Force over at Marvel, where Cloak and a few other characters 
can create space portals with a, a shadowy type thing. I was actually thinking of a Stargirl with the guy who... Obsidian. Goes through the, sh the shadows. Yeah. 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 If it were a Marvel character, that th those are the kind... The Obsidian type character would be it. But he can become a shadow. Shade can walk through shadows. But again, Shade's powers are a little different and such. That's not how Shadowlass's powers have ever worked. And it's funny because there are a lot of pairings of characters because in the comics... Shadowlass and Monel were dating and stuff, no sign of that here. Bouncing Boy and Triple Good Girl wound up getting married in comics, no sign of that here. You know, but again, I think the, the writer is probably just clueless on some of that. And part of it is I don't expect all that to happen in a under hour and a half animated film, where you've got to go from before the destruction of Krypton, Supergirl's arrival on Earth that they completely skip over, mm -hmm. to her becoming Supergirl and being public as that, to getting sent to the Legion future, and then actually starting the real story. Yeah. So I wish I could say I was hoping for more than this, but honestly, I wasn't. When I was seeing how much press they were doing for, you know, arm fall off boy, as if he's a representative member of the Legion in any way, shape, or form. That's sad. Yeah. There are so many other stories they, they could have and should have done. And the the Dark Circle group they've, they've used has been a... a Thorn in the Legion side from time to time, but not what I would consider the quintessential Legion villain by any stretch. Well, I didn't feel they tied together whatever the Dark Circle group was going after in our time with what was happening in the future. The impression I got was they were going after Brainiac so they could clone him and turn him into the one from the future. I thought so, but then something happened and I started doubting myself and I forget what it was. Well, for me, the the mistake was, again, the end credit scene where they vaporize Superman and Batman, which, again, necessitates another movie, but I'll be shocked if they get it. Yeah. I, I think there's so much more they could have and should have done. I'm not sure what Legion story I would have said, yes, let's go with this. And I'm even less sure what it would have been if the mandate was to do a Supergirl story disguised as a Legion story, which is very much what this was. Yeah. I was going to say, it feels like that's what the mandate was. And it was a better Supergirl story than a Legion story, but I don't think it was a good story either way. Yeah. So as much as I would like to recommend this, I can't. And I would say, if you're a Legion fan, you're not going to be happy with this. Supergirl fan, maybe, but I doubt it. No, I don't think so. Hardcore fan of the DC animated features they're doing. This is so tangential to the modern day stuff, I, it doesn't seem relevant. Or maybe it is, I just, I don't know what's next in that avenue or that line of films, but we spend so little time in the modern day. I mean, it was halfway decent for Brainiac 5. Yeah, but again, they're going with the, I am 12th level intellect, therefore I am most logical, as if he's Vulcan. Yes. So, and his arc is so abrupt, mm -hmm. as are most of the characters, I don't even think if it's a hook on, on that score. Yeah. So if, if any of the listeners disagree with me, think I'm being too harsh on this, and yeah, maybe I am, get on Slack, get on the forum, speak up, tell us what you thought. Yeah. I'm sure other people out there are going to enjoy this. Great. I'm just not one of them. And I, I hate to say that. I was, I was hoping I would be. Anything else? I think that does it. Cool. 
The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.